This time on Watchers of Tomorrow, his name is Vigo. Hello everyone, welcome to Watchers of Tomorrow, the sci-fi review and critique show that appeared for an instant to be in two places at the same time. My name is Gep and I'm joined as always by my friend and co-host Dr. Izix. Hi! And we are at another one of the pretty good episodes. Mm -hmm. Probably one of my favorite ones of the early first season. Oh, most certainly here as well. It's actually one of the ones that I keep forgetting is in the first season, yeah. actually. Because <laughs> it does seem like it'd be showing up later, honestly, yeah. Yeah, tonally it doesn't exactly fit with the rest of the first season. And it's written better, and it deals with things a little better, and it's kind of got an interesting plot line that resolves itself mm -hmm. in the same episode. Yeah, and it, uh, it's, it's tight, it fills up the printing time without too much padding, and what, I guess, padding there is there kind of is, I guess, world-building to a degree. Uh, and, you know, the, the, the bad guy is kind of this nefarious person who is all like, I'm not going to just be a cartoon character that we can contrast ourselves with. And yeah. Okay, so this one is called The Battle, which is a very straightforward <sighs> short name. I like all the ones in Next Gen have shorter names mm -hmm. instead yes. of all the weird, like, 15-word-long names that we used to have. <laughs> we could have called this one, you know, at one time the Ferengi dropped by and gave us something cool, but it turned out to be a, a bad time for everybody. Or, you know, Shakespeare reference instead. Yeah, mostly Shakespeare reference. I guess this could be a Shakespeare reference. It is a very, very short one. I'm sure somewhere they've said the battle in Shakespeare. So. Okay, insert a, a, you know, a soliloquy here, like, you know, maybe the St. Crispin's Day speech or whatever it was. <laughs> <laughs> so the battle is written. I was surprised to learn. Probably one of the reasons that it's a good episode in this season <laughs> by uh, Larry Forrester, who's a Scottish writer and novelist who is best known for writing the award-winning screenplay for Tora Tora Tora. Oh, yeah. Which, uh, I, I've never actually seen, uh, but I probably should at some point. It's a class. I remember watching this when I was a kid when my dad was showing me all of his favorite World War II movies. Mm -hmm. it's, a, it's like a super well-known, important, classic World War II film. Yes, it's about the uh, you know, the, uh, the bombing of Pearl Harbor and all that, uh, and kind of how it came about, both in terms of you know literally what happened, but also the circumstances that sort of uh, set it up to be possible, I guess. Yeah. So he also did TV shows like Switch and Harry, which I've not really heard, and um, Fantasy Island. Yes. So. <laughs> also, Knight Rider. Which everyone's written for Fantasy Island and Knight Rider from this era, so there you go. It's just interesting, like, one of the, like, he wrote what is widely regarded to be one of the best World War II movies of all time and mm -hmm. wrote for Fantasy Island and Star Trek. <laughs> you know, sometimes you gotta take work where you can get it, you know? Mm-hmm. Just shows you that being the screenwriter does not really net you the big bucks, does it? But Herbert Wright also contributed to the teleplay uh, version, but uh, that's more of a, I want to convert this over. And, you know, he's done work before. We'll keep writing into him again. Okay, we've got a couple of guest stars. Uh, one's going to show up a couple times. The other one doesn't. So, you know, we yeah. don't have to worry about them. <laughs> anyway, there's a, there's a couple other ones with the main people, as always, because this, this era does get a bit bloated with its side characters, honestly. There's a lot of background <laughs> people. There's a lot of people on set. Yeah, we haven't even run into Bourne yet. So Frank uh, Corsentino plays Damon Bach. He started acting in the 70s with guest appearances on Gunsmoke and uh, shows like Then Came Branson, The Odd Couple, and Starts Again Hutch. Shows had such weird names. Um, <laughs> he plays two different Ferengi in TNG and one in Voyager. So he's one of those Ferengi a actors who's around. Yeah. Uh, you know, Damon Tog is the other one in, in TNG. Uh, Gigas is the, other, is the one in uh, Voyager. But I think maybe they could have just made... Gigas Damon Tog because that could have worked out potentially. Yeah, I yeah I don't know why they keep making up new Ferengi. <laughs> I don't know. They they keep losing track where they put the makeup for the previous one. And you can just pretend that uh, Quark was in that first party that <laughs> that encountered the Enterprise, and he just changed his name. And it's like, no, I didn't used to own a furry vest. What are you talking about? Yeah, you know, uh, I, I was a, a ship's cook last time I was on a spaceship. 
I wouldn't do away missions. No, not at all. And then Doug Warhit uh, plays First Officer Kazago. Kazago. Sounds like a Khajiit name. Yeah, it does a bit. He started acting in the 80s in the film Private School, uh, which I've never heard of. And then also had a lot of guest appearances on various things like Remington Steel, Airwolf, which is basically Knight Rider, but a helicopter, yes. um, and The Wizard. <laughs> mm, the Wizard. Also, he's an elf. Uh, that's a weird one. <laughs> I've, I'm so culturally unaware of elf. Like, I yeah. understand elf, but I'm, it's just one of those things that, like, completely missed me. I only saw sporadic episodes of it, and it was okay. I'm pretty sure it was yeah. before my time, but it was such a cultural force. It seems weird how little impact it seems to have had on the wider world since... Well, uh, if I recall, the uh, last episodes uh, sort of implied that Alf got uh, taken in by the authorities and possibly dissected. So, you know. That's fun. <laughs> That's an ending that not a lot of shows are willing to go for. <laughs> well, it's all like, you know, it's supposed to be like an end season cliffhanger, but then they didn't continue the series. So, you know. <laughs> okay. I don't know where this is going to go because this is a weird episode and it's got some themes. Deals with themes in a very 80s way because we're still, yes. remember, in the first season when things were coming out in. Uh, you know like 87 it's going to be an interesting one because the way that we've thought about some of these themes has shifted massively correct so uh i guess uh hold on to your butts <laughs> or uh i guess burnt out c control consoles hold on to your ears yes hold on to your ears there we go <laughs> the enterprise has rendezvoused with a ferengi ship that for three days has just sat there silently mocking them those mean Ferengi. Dr. Crusher visits Picard because he has a headache, which is apparently super rare. And may I say, as someone who has migraines, that sounds great. Yes. <laughs> now, of course, when uh, Picard mentions this, you know, Crusher's like, holy smokes? Like, you know, what is this? I, I can't even. And, and so it's easy to sort of interpret that she's either surprised that he has a headache or surprised that he has a head. <laughs> <laughs> i just cannot believe the the things that they say they've cured it's mm -hmm. like oh remember how people used to get a cold it's like well that makes sense they must have invented some sort of antiviral thingy by now or something yeah. or vaccine or something and they're yeah. like we've cured headaches generally <laughs> so if you have a headache that generally means either you're under an alien influence or you have uh, some sort of horrible brain cancer um, sorry captain well, according to the like future shows of Picard, both? Yeah, kind of. <laughs> so there seems to be nothing wrong with Picard physically, and so they attribute the headache to the stress of the current situation. So before he can be ordered to go to sickbay for further tests, Riker informs them that the Ferengi are finally sending them a message. Uh, the head of the Ferengi ship, Damon Bach, wants to discuss a proposition with them and offer the... The cooperation and peace and stuff but he wants to do it in person which i guess makes sense for that right so this is like you know what the fringy first actually intended to be their first contact mission uh and so then you can open up uh, trade negotiations with the federation and all that good stuff would make some sense actually yeah the, the previous encounter was just kind of a, a chance mistake when it's like yeah, we kind of need to make sure this thing's not on one of our planets otherwise we'll look weak and uh, we'll do an official mission later so Troy gets an extreme feeling of deception from Bach. It's, uh, it, it depends whether or not she can read emotions off of Ferengi, yeah. uh, though he's very, very obviously lying, so maybe it's that. <laughs> so uh, I guess one thing I'm thinking at this point, as knowing the rest of the episode, of course, uh, is that what you know uh, Troy is actually sensing is not the Ferengi it's something in their possession that's true she could sense she should be able to sense the thingamabob yeah the mysterious thingamabob that no one knows what is this is this is a new show nobody's seen this <laughs> there's some we sort of MacGuffin an era of mystery <laughs> it's not a MacGuffin everyone gets the MacGuffin wrong <laughs> this is definitely not this is so not a MacGuffin it's like an anti-MacGuffin the definition at all something you want to avoid <laughs> Anyway, <laughs> so, so Picard allows Bach to come visit and they give him about an hour to get ready, which gives Crusher time to do all those tests. Still nothing wrong. And she does give him future aspirin, which 
And it's weird because they're like, oh my god, the headache's gone. She's like, no, the pain's still there. I've just blocked it. It's like, fine, the pain is gone. Like, what is what what weird splitting hairs doctor distinction are you trying to draw here? Maybe she's just trying to show off her medical knowledge. Um, or alternatively, she's still upset about what the what happened in the previous episode where Picard left her hanging, and so she's just <laughs> messing with him. So Wesley runs onto the bridge to tell Riker that he's about to get an intruder alert from an incoming old ship that they just found on long-range sensors. He found it because he was fiddling with the sensors for a project. Uh, Picard chastises him because why did you run to the bridge to do this? This could have been danger, but you wanted to be here when the Ferengi beamed over, you little scamp you. Yeah, we're on to you, Wesley. Uh. So the Ferengi beam over, they do their, oh, look, women in clothes, ha 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 ha, we're really proud of that one for some reason. Yes. And Damon Bach introduces Kazago as second officer, and they offer to buy data because capitalism, you know, Ferengi, we've got to do the whole gambit here. Yes. <laughs> we have to prove that we are uh, hyper-capitalists, so uh, what can we buy around here? Uh, this guy. So they say not to worry about that ship that's coming in because it's a gift from them to Picard in honor of the Battle of Maxia. Also, Kazago goes, gift? I thought we were going to sell this to what's going on. Giving people things. Yeah. Are we getting paid at least? Uh, what's up? So Picard has not heard of the Battle of Maxia, but Data fills in his own backstory. <laughs> oh, yeah, that was that one star system I happened to be in when uh, my uh, old ship got, you know totally wrecked and i had to abandon it and all that huh. mm -hmm. yeah so years ago picard was attacked by an unidentified alien ship that he was then forced to destroy bach informs him that it was in fact a ferengi vessel and the approaching federation ship is the one that picard commanded at the time the stargazer hmm. wait is jack horkheimer over there yeah we're doing that one again i didn't get a chance to watch those since last time <laughs> so later on picard's still having headaches and he's starting to get really intense memories of the battle on the Stargazer that he hasn't really thought about for quite a while. Because, you know, it was only a time that he almost died and had to abandon his ship in deep space and float around in shuttles for days. Yeah, it was a bad time. Uh, maybe he's tried to, like, not think about it intentionally. And plus there was that whole, uh, you know, court-martial after the fact there uh, where uh, you got, uh, you know, ran into that one lady we'll run into later. And all sorts of other unpleasantness. And you're just like, I just kind of put it, put it behind me and not worry about it anymore. Yeah, I think it's great. We'll talk about it a bit later. But this whole thing is just like, you know, Tuesday. Really ships all the time. It's fine. <laughs> so they talk about the day in question. The Stargazer was attacked out of nowhere by an unknown alien ship. It was a surprise attack that crippled the Stargazer's shields immediately. Completely out of options, Picard ordered what is apparently now called the Picard Maneuver, where they jump the ship into high warp for a split second stopping just off the enemy's bow making the ship appear to be in two places at the same time because it went through light speed yes so, so it looks kind of magically and you're like which one do i target my computer's confused mm -hmm. and they shot at the wrong ship opening themselves up for a counterattack, but not before the stargazer was too badly damaged and they had to be abandoned assumed lost effectively they were outmatched but they ended up a victory but they yeah bad times so picard wants to visit his old ship Riker, data laforge and wharf go over with tasha to check it out because security stuff they don't find anything wrong the forge gets the power back on picard beams over to check out his old room where he finds a trunk full of books and a mysterious glowy thing that causes him to double over in pain suddenly there's a sphere here and oh no my headache but i guess he didn't notice it or something and Bach is also working on a glowing orb thing on his own ship. That, that maybe they're connected. Oh, hmm. orb to orb, orb to orb <laughs> communication, man. <laughs> That's what they do in Stargate. <laughs> cool TV, man. So Crusher finds Picard, takes him back to the Enterprise. His things, including the trunk, are brought back to his quarters, where he goes to lay down and rest. He still has a headache. They haven't noticed the glowy orb doodah. So he basically just starts having visions of his old crew surrounded by fire in the middle of a battle. These aren't ghosts. These are just him uh, imagining there's people here. But uh, they do kind of look like ghosts. Meanwhile, Data's found something troubling in the Stargazer's logs, which he shows Riker. Apparently a confession in Picard's own words admitting that he fired on the Ferengi ship and then lied about being attacked to cover up his mistake. Oh no, a Starfleet captain is... You know, not been 
you know, totally dedicated to the truth. So Riker does not believe this for a second, but he is mandated to report it to Starfleet because regulations. But yes. they are investigating to prove that it is fake in the meantime. Uh, Riker starts contacting Kazago to try to work out what's going on, kind of first officer to first officer. This goes nowhere because Kazago takes these questions as accusations. It's like, Kazago... Uh, I Something seems fishy here. Uh, did you notice anything weird? What do you mean, fishy? What are you planning? Go away, Riker. Meh. So Picard's still having pain in flashbacks. Bach is still playing with his big silver ball. Crusher gives Picard a sedative to put him to sleep so he can get some rest, but this seemingly just lets Bach use his thingy better and turns it up to maximum. While he's unconscious, he's fully under his control now or something. The data has finally found that the log was definitely forged. Just like they thought. This, mm -hmm. I mean, this bit basically goes nowhere. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, oh my god, an obviously forged log. Well, yep, forged. I think the uh, idea was to uh, encourage the crew to sort of start uh, stop trusting Picard. Uh, and they figured it out too quickly. So Picard comes back and acting strange, but claiming to feel much better after he's rested. He orders everyone back to work, also for that they should turn the tractor beam off and let the stargazer sort of drift alongside them, you know, save power. Oh, well, okay, that kind of makes sense. We're not really accelerating here. We're already at max impulse or whatever, so, okay. Back in sickbay, Crusher and Troy are puzzling over what's going on with Picard when Wesley comes in and points out that the brainwave scans they're working on, the glanced at before, you know, <laughs> just happened to notice. They're the same as some low-level energy readings that he's been picking up from the Ferengi ship. They run off to tell Riker, leaving Wesley spitefully alone. <laughs> and Wesley's just smug as hell here. This is a, well, you're welcome. I did find a slight interview quote from Will Wheaton where he's like, this is why people didn't like Wesley. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, all right, you, you, this is obviously like we're trying to make this the precocious teenage kid who's like, you know, super smart. And just adults just don't believe him. And but they still save the ship every week. So, you know, and it's like, oh, this is getting a little bit much. Yeah. So they warn Riker about how something may be interfering with the captain. But before they can do anything, Picard has beamed himself over to the Stargazer. Dang it. We should even... How many times now has Picard beamed himself off the ship just randomly and it's caused horrible A things? <laughs> A lot. Maybe they need some sort of better controls on who uses the beam off the ship things. You know? Yes. <laughs> Maybe, uh, I don't know, a transporter uh, chief would have like a, a password that's they can put in so it's not just anyone who shows up and can work the transporters thumbprint scanner you know anything yeah. and you know if it's someone who's not supposed to be beaming someone right now it like notifies the bridge so the Vorgen data pick up they pick up the same energy reading they're getting from Ferengi from Picard's quarters and head off to find it on the stargazer box set up his orb and he's waiting for Picard because the ship that he destroyed before was commanded by Bach's son, and now Bach has returned Picard to the past and set up the Stargazer's computers to take voice commands so that he can relive the battle, but this time with the Enterprise. Well, this is going to be tricksy. Uh, Bach, would you like some gold-pressed latinum, maybe, to <laughs> stop doing this nonsense? Smooth everything out. Yeah. <laughs> Supposed to be hypercapitalist, can we just bribe you to give up? So Riker can't seem to get Picard to respond to Hales. Data has found the orb, and they don't know what it is, but it's very complicated. <laughs> it's like a thing, man. <laughs> Riker hails Kazago to ask what this thing is and what's going on. He identifies it as a thought maker, a forbidden criminal device. So that's bad. Kazago first blames Picard for having the things, but Riker goes, no, you know what's going on. You, yeah. you know what's <laughs> happening, dude. Don't lie to me. Yeah, we, we found this in uh, the uh, stuff brought over from the Stargazers, so really, guys, come on. <laughs> so Picard hails the Enterprise, but he's talking like they just attacked him. Well, well that's weird. Yes, Picard, thinks Riker. I would like to punch you someday, but now is not really the time. So Picard is talking like he's in the Stargazers' last battle, which means that they're going to do the Picard maneuver, which has no defense. Dun, dun, dun. What about Which your leads one to wonder why they <laughs> don't use it. Yeah. <laughs> like, there's no defense for this apparently really simple to pull off maneuver. Well, I guess it's like a more tactical sort of thing that if you 
are able to hit somebody, you're going to be able to pull it off. But mm-hmm. if it doesn't take them out entirely, it's you know, you're screwed. So Riker tells Data to make a defense quickly, and he postulates that because space contains trace gases, they should be able to pinpoint where the stargazer is moving, even at warp, by analyzing where the gases are being compressed. Hmm. All right. And then, because the Enterprise D is a much more advanced ship, they should be able to just grab it with their tractor beam. Effectively, we're uh, tracking where its main deflector's going, and, uh, you know, because it's pushing stuff out of the way so it doesn't, like, penetrate into the hole. And so we can just sort of, uh, yeah, stop it in its tracks, and we uh, will know exactly which way it's pointing this weapon's at. Just focus our shields there, it's fine. So Kazago contacts them to let them know that this seems to have become, you know, a Federation thing, so yeah. we're going to leave now. Bye. <laughs> uh, also, uh, yeah, thanks for sort of talking to us, and uh, here's some information that's important. Yeah, yeah well, he also has relieved Bach <laughs> of command because he was being very, very unprofitable. Yes. <laughs> Remember, kids, you know, if you want to be a hyper-capitalist, don't focus on revenge. So Picard jumps the Stargazer to warp. The ship does indeed appear to be in two places at once, but the Enterprise grabs it right out of space and pins it. Riker mm. gets communication back on and tells Picard to destroy the orb. After a bit of confusion, he's able to shake off the memories long enough to shoot the thing and blow it up in his face. Well, uh, hopefully this uh, explosion right in your face is not going to be like... I don't know, traumatic? I guess not, because he wakes up a little bit later, his head's finally clear, and he's ready to leave the past finally behind him. Hooray! Now we're never going to have to worry about Picard's past again. Yep, the end. The end. We're never going to retcon weird stuff into Picard's past. (laughs) That means he didn't deal with trauma things. It's just, never mind. No, the second season of Picard didn't devolve into a complete mess recently. No, who, Who's talking about that? This isn't even, this episode is going to come out so long after Picard season two ended that it's not going to make any sense. Yeah, so I, I'm, I'm withholding judgment on uh, the season two there. Uh, oh, there I'm are, not. Yeah, so, uh, you know, I'm still keeping up on it, but uh, yeah, there, there are some things that leave me head scratching, but yeah, anyway. So, the battle. Yeah, the it's a, battle. It's a pretty good episode. Tight. Uh, there's not really a, a B plot unless you count Wesley like messing around with the sensors, I guess. Yeah, there's really not a B plot at all. The, mm-hmm. I guess there's the weird little side thing of oh, Wesley figured out stuff because Wesley, super Wesley boy, but you know, Wesley, uh, you need like a uh, you know just a, a a sign that says "Pay attention to me when I'm talking" sort of sort of stuff there. <laughs> So, uh, this does uh, give us a little bit of backstory in terms of Picard's previous command experience. Uh, and we'll, we'll learn that uh, I think he like became the captain of the Stargazer because the previous uh, captain like died or something like that. Yeah, I think uh, later on there's some retconning of that. Right this time it's just like, yeah, they, um, you know, they, they, he's was just the captain. He happens to be the captain yeah. during this thing. Yeah, I guess it's maybe not entirely clear when that uh, captain death thing happened. So he, maybe he's been captain there for a while. Maybe not. Maybe just like 10 minutes. I don't know. <laughs> uh, I guess maybe we'll find some more clues later. But uh, in the in the meantime, we got uh, the Stargazer uh, is, is, is back and we can tow it away and uh, history or museum or something like that. You know, yeah, now, I guess nowadays, especially with what I mean, I, I should not have watched Picard so recently I like watched it this morning not thinking mm-hmm. about it because I didn't know what the episode was going to be about it's mm-hmm. a very like trauma focused episode now it's all I can think of looking back at this one and I'm not sure how many trauma themes were supposed to be in this episode because we weren't really <laughs> talking about trauma in the same way in the 1980s as we are now well I guess as far as the trauma in this one uh, specifically the the main bit of it is the loss of the ship uh, and Picard's lament that he was an, uh, unable to resolve that conflict peacefully. Uh, you know, he's sort of, you know, they're, they're not talking to us. They're just shooting at us. You know, we're ca- you know, calling out for them to, you know, chill out here, but they're just not responding. So I guess I have no choice here but to, you know, take a violent action here. And, you know, that's not what he wanted to do. Well, see, the, the, the interesting thing here especially with how we're dealing with this now. I guess we should define some of our terms. Recently, we've gotten into this very trauma-focused way of thinking about mental health, that 
uh, past experiences that you go through will sometimes be traumatic. Those traumatic experiences leave an impact on you and essentially give you something, if not exactly the, the same thing, than something analogous to post-traumatic stress. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the predominant theory in the popular consciousness right now. Yeah, all your quirks and failings are because you had a bad time and uh, therefore you know depending on sort of how you're trying to interpret things either something you should try to seek to get past or acceptable uh, results of your past trauma and what's kind of interesting when looking at how they were dealing with it here in the 80s this is definitely something that one would consider a traumatic event if you were making this plot line now you could definitely imagine this being a very trauma focused dealing with your past style episode mm-hmm. um, apparently though at this point in star trek history they have some way of dealing with this because he doesn't even remember this happened until he's reminded and he's like oh yeah that's right i did lose a ship one time it is yeah sort of played at that sort of level of oh yeah this is a thing that happened but i guess the way i was sort of interpreting the episode is like this is something he just doesn't actually think about uh because he's very much living in the now and so when this sort of thing pops up to remind him he's like oh yeah i did kind of suck you know it's sort of a there's a an intentional blocking of that sort of bad time from his present but it's not like a big traumatic incident that he's like oh my god now i'm reminded of this i'm having flashbacks i have to deal with the thing the memories and flashbacks and similar analogous things are brought on by technology within the episode yes so you could read it as a flashback style thing but it's so technologically and uh enforced that you're actually losing a lot of the way that we talk about it now which is that the flashbacks are just something that happens to you and you have to learn how to deal with them what's interesting in this is you could actually look at it comparing and contrasting picard's reaction to the events and Bach's reaction to the events because both of them went through a traumatic event picard obviously got had something where he was able to deal with it he had training which usually helps we found that he yes. probably had a social support network we know in this era of star trek mental health is very important because they have counselors on board ship yes. they get to talk about their stuff they have a lot of support which is something that we have in fact found uh through studies that helps like having a lot of support in your life and socially like helps you not develop post-traumatic stress there's people to talk to people to sort of bounce ideas off of as far as like how you're dealing with also people be there to help you sort of regain some sense of normalcy you know you've had a bad time but i'd also like to live my life a little bit you know in between the times i'm you know trying to sort of address this more directly so arguably you could in fact view this if you wanted to view it through a trauma lens which i'm unclear whether this episode was intended to be uh viewed this way or not by the writers but if you wanted to view it for the trauma lens Bach is in fact the one who is dealing with his past and is stuck there yes and that is driving Bach's revenge scheme which is causing him to find a way to trap the other person involved in the same sort of reliving your past hell that he is I'm going to hell I'm taking you with me sort of moment there essentially uh, yes so I'm going to get this complicated device and use basically all the money I've been making over years and years of, uh, you know, being a Ferengi captain of sorts uh, to basically make sure that you and I feel the same about these events. You know, essentially, I think the main thing, thinking about comparing and contrasting how they dealt with a past event in this episode from the 80s with how they are currently dealing with past event stuff in the current Picard season and also Mm -hmm. several other shows that I'm watching at the same time like every show is doing this right now it's very popular yeah my god it's popular the thing that is missing which is the main thing that we are focusing on now and something that I actually have a fair amount of criticism of that's going to get me in some trouble if more than three people ever listen to this show (laughs) 
the thing that we are very focused on now is not post-traumatic stress or traumatic instances having an effect on you. It is, in fact, post-traumatic growth. So what is post, yeah, what is that? Post-traumatic growth is the current theory that going through a traumatic event and then dealing with it properly actually makes you better on the other end. It, it changes your outlook. It makes you better able to deal with difficult circumstances. It uh, lets you as a person grow, essentially. So you go through something traumatic, you deal with it properly, you will come out better for the experience, essentially. That's a gross oversimplification. But now that kind of kind of reminds me of something, you know, that, uh, you know, you, you must struggle in order to uh, become better sort of stuff. Yeah, that is the message that you are getting in current interpretations of trauma, of uh, past trauma. You, you have the past trauma, you have something that triggers it, or you have to deal with it in some way, you're in a similar circumstance, etc., etc., etc. You have to do something in order to deal with it. In modern sci-fi, it is always going into a physical representation of your internal mind space. We're going to you know, hijack your brain and uh, go in there and, uh, you know, suddenly Chief O'Brien's there telling you, you know, everything's okay. Yeah. Usually you have to fight something or learn that you didn't have to fight something, you know, forgive someone, possibly your past self. It's you know, some mess in that general realm of bad TV write-ups. And then, because you have successfully dealt with your trauma, you are now better able to deal with the present situation, which, lo and behold, is thematically linked to your past trauma. Writing trope. This episode, and other episodes that deal with the past in the sort of 80s sort of way, um, don't do that. There's absolutely no indication that Picard is now better for having dealt with this experience. In fact, Indeed. the main message here is to not dwell on your past which can also lead to other problems but you know it's a a thing where it's not you're you know this is a good thing as you know it's like this sucked yeah, yeah. <laughs> both have problems the post-traumatic growth thing uh take or leave the science the science on these things is very wishy-washy and new um but the general philosophy of a lot of how we're dealing with trauma now especially post-traumatic growth especially the way that we're talking about ptsd mm -hmm. is that we are looking for the reasons that people don't get affected by traumatic events and that's a lot of what we're focusing on there's been a lot of talk of like you know a hundred people can go through the same traumatic event and only 20 of them will get ptsd so why didn't the other 80 and if we can figure that out, we can prevent PTSD, which is a good and laudable goal overall. But it also kind of leads to this idea that, well, if you could just cure the negative outcomes of a of like a traumatic event, then do you really have any particular reason to stop the traumatic events from yeah. happening in the first place? <laughs> and then you take it a step farther with something like post-traumatic growth, where you are saying that not only can we prevent the negative outcome of having gone through a traumatic event, the traumatic event itself was in fact valuable because it's now led to this positive outcome. So you are even more incentivized to not prevent traumatic events. Yeah, so it's effectively saying that, you know, traumatic events are a good thing now, and that's kind of messed up. Or possibly even if you're not going as far as they're good, they're completely unavoidable. This is a school of, of thinking about mental health that has always bothered me. It's one we're moving more and more towards for very obvious capitalist reasons that basically ignores the world. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it says the world operates the way the world operates. It is immutable. The world is and has always been this way. It will and can never change. What we need to focus on is how the individual exists within the world and change the way that the individual interacts with the world. Well, I guess if you're in a, a, a profession where you are only being directed to, you know, help the individual on this end of this equation here, that, you know, it's very easy to sort of fall in that trap that that's the only thing that can change. 
but the world is mutable the world is changeable so we should not you know give up on the other side of things yeah it's um it's the way that we talk about and this is not an original idea i uh, forgive me i saw this someone talking about this a while back and i didn't since i don't know where these discussions are going sometimes i don't didn't think to look up who was talking about this but the basic gist of this interview i saw was that we consider certain things to be so there in our society that we talk about them as inevitable forces of nature mm -hmm. you know like <laughs> it will sometimes rain and there's nothing we can do about it some people will not be able to afford food because of capitalist market forces and that's just the way the world functions i call bs on that but yeah. uh, go on <laughs> well that's the general idea is is things like that can't change so instead of dealing with like poverty for example look at the people who are less mentally affected by the stresses of poverty and try to prioritize doing that so that you don't have to deal with the base problem it's kind of the theory of whether things like mental health issues stress depression trauma are environmentally caused or if there's something sort of inherently wrong with the individual and right now we're trying to sort of do both at the same time with modern <laughs> trauma thinking like you are affected by a thing that happened in the world that's obvious but you are affected more or less strongly probably because of genetics we don't know maybe epigenetics which is a new bullshit thing that people get to use to try to explain why genetics are environment caused by environmental factors mm -hmm. Um, if you ask a geneticist why this isn't just predestiny, they give you some sort of bullshit, wishy-washy response like, well, it's always <laughs> genetics and environmental factors. We're just completely ignoring environmental factors for some reason, but, you know. So, uh, in other words, we don't want to actually come up with a, uh, an actual answer here because that's too hard. Yeah. So, in fact, the way that we are skewing mental health more and more and more, at least in my view and my criticism, is that we are moving very far away from environmental determiners of mental health and into genetic individual, there's something wrong with your brain style mental health practices. Which, you know, the people do vary quite a bit in terms of how, you know, they're physically put together, but that's not everything. So, yeah. <laughs> Well, the thing that always gets me is, let's say they're completely right, right? Let's mm -hmm. let's give them the complete benefit of the doubt. There are some people who have something in their genetics that just makes their brain depressed. Regardless of what's going on in the world, this person is just going to be depressed. We can just, let's just assume that's true. We uh, don't really they, have the scientific... You know, their brain's unable to come up with the right yeah. chemicals and the right amounts in order to do it operate things as they, well that particular yeah. theory has been completely debunked but whatever okay. it is be, whatever the motive force of this is and i'm not really trying to argue that it's not like the i've read accounts of people who like are just more sad than i've ever been in my entire life for reasons they can't figure out so there's a decent possibility that there's some people in the world for which this is true but if we improve the circumstances of the world generally we are going to make things better for those people as well as every other person on the planet indeed so there's really no reason to not try to improve the environmental factors yeah this kind of reminds me of uh, some of the uh, you know discussions about climate change the uh it's like okay if climate change is real then we need to you know fight climate change in order to you know, you know have green energy etc cetera, etc cetera, in order to uh, you know prevent it and also it will have these fringe benefits and if it's not real we still get the fringe benefits so wouldn't that be nice <laughs> yeah there's no particular reason to not say like let's just say climate change is completely fake and pollution isn't doing anything to the climate um it's still causing me cancer <laughs> yes <laughs> you know living next to this uh, power plant over here this you know spewing out uh, you know coal fumes is uh you know, basically filled my entire neighborhood with, you know, carcinogens. And so now I'm dying. So this sucks. But, you know, you should move or buy a umbrella, I guess. <laughs> or stop worrying about it because you really should just stay positive. 
That's a fun one. I read a book a little bit about America's positivity cult and how we uh, tell people to not even think about the things that might have caused their cancer because you just have to stay positive. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to like try to avoid getting cancer. And if I do get it and figure out why, I, I'm... I'm going to be a pain in the ass whatever that cost it. So you can see an interest, there is an interesting shift in, like, this was also a way of saying don't change anything because, you know, leave the past in the past is basically saying it doesn't matter what happened to you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but it's a little less extreme than some of the things that we've gotten into now, especially since in the 80s um, we weren't really on the mental health thing yet. That, that came about way later. Um, we were yeah. about to, I think, I, it's difficult to get my timeline correct on this. I've been trying to do some research, but some of these cultural shift things happen so slowly over such a weird period. It's difficult mm-hmm. to pinpoint exactly when this stuff happened. Um, we were kind of about to get into the uh, satanic panic and um, the memory wars. I thought that started earlier than this, but uh, yeah, yeah. The you know, it's like oh, suddenly uh, everything is uh, devil music or something. Yeah, devil devil worshiping and the uh, memory wars, uh, false memory stuff, which is something that you could look at with this. Even though mm-hmm. this is shown to be as real memories, yeah, um, <laughs> there was a there was a sort of penchant for repressed memories, you know stuff that you didn't remember before and then you went in to get interviewed and they uncovered these memories that you had repressed previously um later shown to just be leading questions by the interviewer Mm -hmm. and then that led into a oh you can completely create false memories in people which was also uh, basically debunked later memory is a quirky thing and it's kind of really unreliable even when you, you don't not dealing with weird hypnotism sort of things uh because you're not necessarily you know when you are recalling something you know you're not recalling a perfect vision of what it was even at the sort of most reliable version of your memory you are remembering the things that you remember most uh, potently uh the things that were relevant to what you were observing and if you're trying to sort of pull out memories to find the things that you weren't really paying attention to what's your brain to do you know it's like i just didn't record that (laughs) but there should have been something there uh maybe i'll extrapolate maybe i'll you know try to twist things or come up with an explanation for why this other thing that i do know for sure was happening uh, is true and it gets all messy yeah, the best description that I've ever heard of this is basically if you take a picture of a building, the camera, digital camera in this case, is going, well, every, say, millimeter of this building, I will record where it is and what color it is. And then when you pull up the picture later, I will just display that information and show you the entire building. Mm-hmm. When you're remembering a building, as far as we can tell anyway, because it's very difficult to know for sure on these kinds of things, Uh, You were going, there was a corner here, a corner here, and a corner here, and a door somewhere in this area. There were probably a Mm -hmm. couple of windows. I think it was mostly made of brick. Fill all that in. And so you sort of, you know, know, you're you're coming up with the fundamental pieces, but the, you know, you'll not notice where that one slight crack is in this bit of, uh, you know, uh, masonry here because it wasn't an important detail. You didn't note it down. And so your extrapolation is going to just sort of slide over it. Yeah, that's why people are particularly bad at um, overtime comparisons. Mm-hmm. If you've ever, like, let's say, like you said, if you ever look at a crack in your wall and go like, is that getting any bigger? Eh, probably yeah. not, <laughs> even though it's like twice as big as it used to be. Yes. That's because over time you've just noticed the same thing there and you've assumed it basically hasn't changed because every time you look at it, you just sort of update unless mm-hmm. you put something there for an actual real comparison. <laughs> Yes, <laughs> the uh, the North Wall problem after a degree, <laughs> which uh, if you don't mind a, a quick aside, uh, so uh, the the Phi Tau uh, co-educational fraternity uh, had uh, had a a North Wall in the old house they had, and uh, it was it appeared to be slowly separating from the rest of the building, and so they had to sort of at at some point they did find themselves realizing, oh, if this gets any worse, 
it's just going to fall off. So we're going to like actually try to reinforce it a bit. So, you know, but it took like years for people to notice that. Yeah. Humans are very bad at remembering things. Yes. Uh, I, I think the, uh, it's like, oh, I can see outside now uh, was kind of when the, uh, the tell is. <laughs> <laughs> and they've done experiments like um, eyewitness testimony on things is ridiculously unreliable. Mm -hmm. um some places that were like teaching investigation and things would just demonstrate this by having a they'd have a janitor come in in the middle of class and like empty a trash can in the front of the room and then leave and then 10 minutes later they would ask everyone to write down what the janitor looked like and no two people had the same description it's like well uh it's tall i think it's like well not really actually um this my i saw him as shorter and uh kind of you know sure hunched over but you know it's like their hair was, it was sandy blonde no it was brown it's like well it's, it's it's shadowy over there of course you thought it was brown and it was darker in that corner of the room oh no 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 this episode is actually kind of interesting star trek is very very like um solid with its memory stuff most of the yes. time like we're just going to scan this person's mind read we, their memories yeah. <laughs> upload them into a computer <laughs> we know 100 percent how memory works and it is immutable uh unless we specifically mess with it or an alien does this episode is kind of interesting because like we've never seen these characters before we don't get a real flashback yeah, of well, this yeah we do hear their voices a little bit and uh picard mentions like you know this is the my weapons officer vigo you know oh he's not here never mind uh, yeah it's like he knows he knows their names and where they were on the ship and that the ship was on fire mm -hmm. and like all the stuff that you probably would remember but we don't know how accurate any of this stuff is to the actual event indeed I, and i suspect that maybe plays into how picard's sort of interacting with uh with uh you know the the, the stargazer when he's doing you know the bit at the end because you know he is the only person on board at that point and you know it's all computer controlled and so that things aren't going to be 100 percent the same anyway because there is some limitations there uh as well as you know you know it's like oh they didn't talk to us in this uh original recollection but Riker's like hey captain what's up <laughs> and that's not part of the original memory but it's being sort of edited in to try to uh you know make sense of his current you know uh, reliving of his experience it's being all adjusted it's very very mutable like memories yeah. it's very i mean i like how they handle it i think mm -hmm. i just enjoy how everything in this episode is handled for the most part mm -hmm. even to the point of them like the the way that they handle the ferengi is finally okay yes <laughs> They're never yeah. great villains or antagonists. They barely work as comedy side characters. This one actually does a very good job in showing, like, at least some aspects of Ferengi culture. Like, this this personal revenge thing is bad by their own standards and for their own reasons. Yeah, it's like, this is there's no profit in this, so why bother? Yeah, we yeah. think of revenge as bad because of various moral things that we've set up on it. They think revenge is bad because it doesn't make money. Yes. <laughs> so it's kind of a waste of time. And also, you know, resources. I guess another thing I rather like about this episode is actually uh, the mechanics of the Picard maneuver. Because this is very much like how FTL at short range would sort of work in terms of how special relativity works. Because special relativity is also all about how you are perceiving things. And if something's able to beat the light that is going to reach you in a moment uh, to a different location that is much closer, yeah, you would see something in two places at once. So, kudos. That's my question, actually. Thinking about it, would you see it in two places at once? Or would you just have a false image of the ship then you would see the new image of the ship but you would see the new image of the ship after the ship had actually gotten there yes because <laughs> if i'm thinking about it maybe i'm thinking about it wrong because i'm not the physicist here but oh, you're oh, in oh. one place and the mm -hmm. photons are bouncing off of you for you to be able to see it's there yes then you move faster than those photons could have gotten back to the observer mm-hmm so when you're in the new place those old photons are still in route 
Correct. But by the time that they get to you, then new photons are hitting the new the place that you are now and also have a travel time to get to you. Yes. So you would see with the old ship while it wasn't there, and then it would disappear, and then the new ship would appear sometime after it had been there. Because well, it, the photons that hit the... that ship wouldn't have hit the other ship because it was, you know, gone now. Well, the, 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 so the photons, as you said, of, the, of where you used to be are in transit. Uh, and they're moving pretty quickly, but you are doing an FTL thing so you can beat them to uh, being close by. So there is then the travel time from you to me observing all of this for the new, pho uh, the new photons for where you are presently. Uh, and so depending on the geometry of the situation, those photons of where you are, uh, you know, you know, after your, your little jump could reach me before the photons of where you used to be. Oh, that's true. If you jumped to where the photons of where you used to be currently are, mm -hmm. then they would reach the observer at the same time as the new photons that started bouncing off of you when you arrived. Yes. Okay, but that does also mean that you would get the dual image for a millisecond at best. Yeah, uh, you know, if you then uh, come close, uh, closer still so you're well ahead of the photons that had bounced off you previously... Those photons are still going to arrive, but now they're going to arrive after the new photons start arriving. There's some complicated physics here. I still think they kept <laughs> both ships on screen for way longer than any reasonable amount of time it would work. Oh, true. Uh, but this also kind of maybe pl plays into my idea that what you see on the screen and also in like outside the ship sort of stuff is all just a representation. So, so it might be okay in a certain extent. <laughs> it's like... Otherwise, you know, coming, you know, you know, giant massive space fleets don't need to fly this close together, guys. Really? <laughs> space is really big. Though, I will say, this is something that bothered me when I was a child and first saw this, and it bothers me now. Mm -hmm. They say there's no defense of this, right? The ship's just going to be in two places at once. We have no way of telling which one is which. Oh my god, we have to have this complicated thing that involves gases in the vacuum of space, etc., etc. So why not just you... say the one where it is now is not where it is? Yeah, you know <laughs> this is going to happen. So like that one, the new one that comes in is is the is the real one because that one is where it used to be. So yes. <laughs> <laughs> unless they jump back very quickly so now that there's three of them <laughs> yeah now i can see why this would be something that would affect someone in the moment mm -hmm. but if you know this is what's going to happen yeah you should just be able to say grab the second one yes <laughs> but uh maybe there's a uh, a worry about you know uh, after they exit warp there's a certain delay time between where the uh you know, uh, this, yeah, the stargazer would be sort of uh, tran uh, trying to turn to and this, the, the tractor beam activating. So beating it to before it has a chance to do anything is ideal, I guess, but it's not really explained very well. Yeah, it's not. And yeah. It seems like the thing that they're actually doing isn't we'll get confused which ship is which. It's mm -hmm. when a ship comes out of warp, we need time to reacquire where it is before we can lock a tractor beam onto it. Yes. <laughs> So that's that's the real danger of the situation. Yeah, it's, it's kind of a cool maneuver all the same. Though never used again or yes. mentioned again. <laughs> well, uh, th there is the fan version of the Picard maneuver, though. Yeah. You sit down and tuck your shirt in. <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't tuck his shirt in. He just pulls on it slightly. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, just, just a quick adjustment here. It's fine. <laughs> it's because those uniforms didn't fit. Nope. <laughs> They're a, a little uh, form-fitting and uh, not always in the uh, proper form, so, you know. Mm, we're going to get into it probably when we do the second season intro, but uh, the uniforms got changed from single piece in this season to two pieces in the next season because the one-piece uniform was giving all of the actors back problems. Star Trek ha seems to have this weird issue with uh, introducing a, a new outfit and realizing, oh, this actually is going to kill our uh, actors here. Uh, mm -hmm. Whoops. 
Well, actually, my mom got me this really interesting, like, giant coffee table book all about Star Trek costumes through the ages. Oh. And every single interview of every single actor who had to wear one of these things was like, yeah, it looked kind of nice. It's fine. But my God, it was awful to wear. It was super <laughs> uncomfortable. Why did they do that? Yeah. I mean, of course, even beyond Jerry Ryan's famous, I wish they'd given it to me so I could burn the thing. Yes. <laughs> It's like, yeah, this is going to uh, strangle me. This is not good. I mean, she passed out on set several times. Yeah. Uh, There's also uh, the, uh, you know, issues with some of the shoes, I recall, from uh, Voyager uh, early on, because they're like, well, uh, they all have to be of a certain style here, and uh, otherwise they're not Starfleet regulation. But, you know, just getting a bunch of shoes for people in various different sizes is a little tricksy. Um Maybe we can borrow some from the TNG folks. <laughs> you never realize just how difficult it is to clothe people in these shows. Mm-hmm. There is a reason that there is a costuming department on most uh, TV shows uh, and uh, other productions there, because this stuff actually does matter. I don't remember if I mentioned this for the TNG stuff, but I did learn that the the reason that they all wear those like fuzzy like velour outfits mm-hmm. uh, is because it doesn't cast shadows when it folds. Ah, it creates soft lighting all the time. The softest of light. I don't know what they were doing with this area. Maybe camera lighting was better. There's also, you know, lots of solid colors, I guess, going on and, you know, some blacks and stuff. I don't know. (laughs) But anyway, I think we've probably strayed a little. Yes, uh, unless you want to talk more about uh, relativistic clothing. Yeah, we have relativistic clothing now. (laughs) I don't know what that means, but maybe we can figure it out changes as it approaches the speed of light so really yeah, it's nothing for you to worry about yeah you know uh you know just uh you know your your, your shirt is red shifting you know so you know <laughs> is your shirt red no i'm just running very fast but uh i, I Wait, think it's blue probably... now yeah i'm leaving so so how will we do something else instead <laughs> yeah i think oh oh my god <laughs> now it's time for the galaxy's favorite game show Hey everybody, welcome to the Galaxy's Favorite Game Show. And I just realized I forgot to uh, send these forward to, to Gepwin here. So uh, we're going to have a little bit of fun with uh, the results here, potentially. Ho <laughs> ho! Anyway, our uh, we got several prizes to hand out here today. Uh, the uh, various uh, contestants have been racking up some points. And we got some uh, some pretty high scores, I'd have to say. Uh, uh, the first one is the Medical Malpractice uh, Prize, which goes to Crusher for... First being just totally baffled by Picard's headache, or maybe just his head, but not getting, uh, you know, far at all at figuring out until, you know, Wesley shows up to help out. And uh, and then she's like, oh, well, now I know what's going on. Let's do that. And uh, yeah, what does she win, Gepwin? Carcer wins a medical history textbook because the number of times she's like, oh my God, we never encounter this anymore. It's like, just fine. But like, learn some things. Yes. <laughs> It's like, you know, you might not encounter it at uh, Starfleet Medical uh, uh, generally, but uh, it is, these are things that still exist, apparently, in the Star Trek universe. It just probably means there's a mind control device nearby, so you've got to watch out for that. Anyway, the next contestant uh, prize uh, uh, receiving here, I'm just kind of all over the place today, is the Terrible Economics Prize, which goes to Damon Bach for pri- prioritizing vengeance over profit, because revenge never pays. What does he win, Gepwin? Well, he wins a nice comfy cell, and then his crew gets to take those ball thingies and use them on unsuspecting billionaires to trick them out of most of their money. Hmm. I think I'll go ahead and endorse this uh, practice here. Yeah, they might be forbidden devices on Ferenginar, but maybe there's uh, you know the various other uh, planets where they still practice uh, capitalism that they can make good use of them. And get enough gold or latinum or whatever they are trying to call it these days in order to retire. And never have to worry about uh, Damon Bach again. Yeah, Damon Bach is for sure never coming back. Anyway, (laughs) (laughs) our final prize is the Master of Special Relativity, which goes to Picard for effectively using as the core component of the Picard Mover. What does he win, Gepwin? Picard wins more warp speed things. Like, this seems like a super useful 
tactical thing that they never do. You never mm -hmm. see them incorporate warp speed into tactical maneuvers, except for the one time in their war game when they thought they didn't have warp speed, so it was a surprise. Like This seems like something that they should probably be using in tactical situations more, and at the very least, I want a Technobabble explanation for why it's bad. Hmm. <laughs> I have a crazy fan theory that they're just really bad at tactics. They might be, because they don't fight wars. Yes. Because <laughs> they're anyway. totally not the military, guys. <laughs> totally not. Never mind. Definitely not the military. You shut up. <laughs> the the Zach Torn will uh, take care of all the uh, strategy stuff. Anyway, uh, that's all I got here for today, Gepwin. Uh, go ahead and take us away. Yes, thank you everyone for joining us at the speed of light so that you can see us where we were and where we are, etc., etc. I'm, I don't know. Anyway, thanks for joining us on the Galaxy's Favorite Game Show! tired today yeah <laughs> my brain is melting gap what's going on <laughs> well basically i've stopped worrying about the quality of the show because i oh. think it makes it funnier and not a lot of people listen to it anyway so you know it's but a win-win but what if we suddenly become big are you gonna start worrying again no because i've discovered several of my favorite podcasts of such a loose style that it makes everyone feel like they're the people doing it are more relatable and down to earth mm. and just like everyone else and also ever since i've been listening to like actual like full-on radio news like npr during the pandemic mm -hmm. um as soon as they left their studio their sound quality went to hell in a handbasket <laughs> <laughs> so uh, they're still doing their news here but suddenly it's you know suddenly... yeah they have barking dogs and doorbells and deliveries <laughs> happening in the middle of news broadcasts like i there's no reason i need to worry about anything anymore <laughs> uh everything's gone full authentic uh we've, if we like it or not yeah and speaking about not having to worry about anything anymore yeah. next episode we got a movie surprise movie time movie i was debating because my god we did so many movies in a row but this is going to be episode 130 every 10 episodes if you're new here since tng every 10 episodes we take a break from the main lining of just episodes in order and we do a star trek movie not a star trek movie a non-star trek <laughs> movie my god we do a movie just a sci-fi movie <laughs> my brain <laughs> you lose brain uh-oh yeah, and then we we have a movie broadly about losing brain. So, <laughs> wait a moment. Are we doing Dark City again? Yeah, Dark City again because you lose brain. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, next time we're doing another sort of classicy, fairly forgotten, and very divisive. I didn't realize because uh, it's like fairly good scores on some reviews, and then like really bad scores on other reviews it's mm -hmm. like it's got like a 7 on imdb but like a 41 on rotten tomatoes and a 33 on metacritic which interesting yes <laughs> a little all over the place yeah which so which, which means it's probably an interesting movie it could be or it's just bad one of those <laughs> So uh, next week we're going to be doing the 2002 movie equilibrium some sort of christian bale yes it is a christian bale movie um had the unfortunate distinction of coming out a few years after the matrix and so was somewhat forgotten yes uh, uh yeah it did not do it had a budget of 20 million and made about 5 million whoops yeah that's not good yeah remember movies have to make about twice their budget in box office to pay for you know advertising and other stuff to become profitable at all so making uh, a fourth of your budget probably not good yes uh <laughs> well i will say in terms of uh, my own experience with the, this movie i was totally unaware it existed until like six seven years after it came out as was uh, i 
<laughs> yeah, so maybe their advertising budget didn't exist, so I don't know. <laughs> as far as I can tell, yeah, it was not advertised at all. So Equilibrium is a sort of um, more modern, though for you know the early 2000s, basic adaptation of uh, Fahrenheit 451. Hmm. Yes. It uh, follows almost exactly the same kind of plot, except instead of everyone being legally mandated to watch television, everyone is legally mandated to take emotion-suppressing medication. So, uh, can't feel anything. Yes. So, so suffice it to say, if you think I went on a weird mental health rant this week... (laughs) (laughs) We're going to go much deeper down the rabbit hole next time, I suppose. Oh, yeah. Way too far down the rabbit hole. Like, Mm -hmm. this would this could totally turn bad if you know anyone listened to this show ever i should stop saying that because we still haven't released any of our current season so there is a distinct possibility that people start listening a lot more now that we're in tng (laughs) so uh i guess we'll uh find out soon yeah so next week equilibrium uh if you haven't seen it, it's worth watching just because it has some of the most interesting fight choreography yes, that I have uh, ever seen in a sci-fi film. Yeah, I've uh, not seen the entirety of this movie myself, but I have seen some of the fight scenes because, yes. Yeah, so go watch Equilibrium if you're interested because next week we're going to be spoiling the heck out of it. There is a big twist at the end that's not worth covering up. So, yeah. Okay. <laughs> Next time on Watchers of Tomorrow, learn some gun kata. You have been listening to Watchers of Tomorrow, a podcast on science fiction media. Find and follow Watchers of Tomorrow on Podbean, YouTube, Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Pocket Cast, Spreader, Digital Podcast, and perhaps many more to come. If you enjoy our podcast, make sure to subscribe for more. And where possible, make sure to rate your experience or leave us a review. You may find Gepwin on youtube.com slash Gepwin and Twitter at Gepwin. You may find me, Dr. Isix, on youtube.com slash Dr. Isix and Twitter at IsixLP. Music is Waveform and Mori's Principle, both by DRKRN. You can also check out the Watchers of Tomorrow Discord channel. Make sure to share the experience with your friends, family, enemies, and alien overlords. If you feel you are suffering from transporter syndrome, please be aware that the next time you step off the transporter, that you, that is now, no longer exists. <laughs>